Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, it's good to be back. It's good to be back here. I know there's some uh, at home joining online this morning, and uh, it's really great to see you guys. We can see you on a little screen over here. Um, it's really lovely to have you on Zoom. And for everyone in the room, like, lovely to see your faces. And um, We've had two weeks of uh, social gatherings, and uh, I was sort of the way of gathering this morning that I was standing at the front door um, waiting on uh, my wife to put her shoes on, and I was wondering what was taking her so long, um, only to realize that I was standing with my bag on, my coat on, and my slippers. And Beth was like, so are you going to put your shoes on? And I looked down, and I was like, oh, yes. Um, so there, there you go. Um, I, clearly, I have super comfy slippers. <laughs> um, that's how relaxed I've been after two weeks not gathering here, I guess. Um, but we're back. It's great to be back um, after two social gatherings. Let me pull up my... Uh, my, uh, my words for today. Um, if you've been journeying with us, we're in this summer teaching series, and it's, it's based on this, this beautiful little book. And we're, we're going to dive into part eight uh, today. We're going to teach on shalom and creation for in 20 minutes or so. <laughs> we're dipping into these topics each week. They're like little tasters, little flavors, hopefully in the months. And I hope the years to come, we can really deeply explore a lot of this and put these things into practice as a community here, trying to live out the faithful way of Jesus. But because it's party at this week, it's still not too late. If you have not started this book or got a copy of this book, and you're looking for something easy and accessible to read, this is really a wonderful book, giving you this broad, beautiful vision of the kingdom, of the gospel, and what we've been singing about today, the goodness of God. So if there's only one thing you take away this morning, um, God is good. And we were living in uncertain times. Some days I walk into this room and it doesn't feel super recognizable. <laughs> Where is everyone? All that kind of stuff's going on. Of course it is. We're still figuring all this out. And hopefully in the weeks to come, as we move into more of a stronger rhythm come September, things will begin to look a little bit the way we're used to, we hope. Take away this today. No matter where you're at personally, no matter where we're at even in our communal lives, God is good goodness of God is not in doubt this morning. It's not in doubt. God is good. Um, before I dive into our teaching, um, let me share a couple of things. So as I was saying, you'll have noticed that we've worked up the schedule a little bit over the last few weeks. We've had those two social gatherings. We had coffee in the park at Ormond Park two weeks ago. Last week, we're in Crawfordsburn. Everyone was out. Um, sun's out, guns out, all that sort of stuff. It was like so hot. You'll maybe have been enjoying that. And we had a really, really good time um, having a picnic um, at Crawfordsburn. Um, you'll have noticed, though, for those paying attention, that we've skipped two weeks of our teaching. So we were planning to, if you look on our website, teach on witnessing to peace and shalom and sexuality. And uh, we've skipped them. Um, but we have not skipped them forever. We've just put them to the end of our series. Um, they're still going to be taught. It's only preached. We're still going to open up those conversations. We've rescheduled those talks. Stephanie and I met this week. We've rescheduled those to the end of our series. Um, that'll probably take place end of September, October, when we're bringing this series to a close. And we're also considering having some conversation time, maybe a Sunday morning or some, some evenings, where we can get together and actually talk about what we've been teaching um, out of this book. So just to let you know, we have not missed those topics, and we're not skipping them. We're coming back to them. Um, we had said we're going to play things by ear. When the sun comes out in Northern Ireland, you do tend to try to change up your schedule and enjoy the outside as much as possible. So we're hoping to still do that. Um, we're going to be here again next week, and Stephanie is going to be teaching. 
and encourage you to come and connect with that. And then we're going to host one more social gathering the following week. So Sunday the 15th of August. Put that in your diary. Sunday, I mean every Sunday put that in your diary, but particularly Sunday the 15th of August. Put that in your, literally right now, put that in your diary, take it out in your calendar. Um, we're not sure what we're going to do. We're hoping to host a barbecue, but with current restrictions still the way they are, we actually might not be able to do that. We're working behind the scenes on that. It could well be a picnic in the park again. It could well be a barbecue, but you'll look at your emails. That'll come out over the next seven to 10 days. I'm sure we'll clarify what we're doing, but we're going to do a social gathering, weather dependent, of course. Um, but I suppose I really just want to really encourage you all to make this a priority because I think one of the things we've really missed over the last year has been connecting with each other. And I think it's one of the most important things for us to be doing. And it's really not the same when every face is not there, when everyone's not there. So let me encourage you, as I say, to come to that social gathering in two weeks. And let me encourage you to encourage others. Um, we're going to hopefully put on some, uh, some organized games for the kids. Um, we're going to encourage everyone to bring up a picnic. It'll be in Belfast this time, not in Crawfordsburn, somewhere a little bit more central so people can get to. And hopefully it'll be a really good morning. Hopefully the sun does shine. Um, so Sunday the 15th of August. Right, this morning I'm going to speak on the very good gospel and what that means for this world that we inhabit, the earth. Um, it's a big topic. We're only touching on these topics, but I hope that it, I guess, opens up that conversation for you, inspires you, maybe encourages you to get pick up this book. Um, I've shared before that when I was raised in the church, I was raised in the church, raised as a Christian, I was brought up in church and attended church every week, attended things called gospel meetings where the gospel was preached. I was brought up and immersed in the gospel. I've spoken about this before in the series at the start of it. And the gospel was, it was that I was told was most, mostly true, but often awfully inefficient or insufficient, sorry, insufficient, reductionistic, not the full story. It was largely focused on this very individualistic idea of God in Christ forgiving our personal sins and setting us free. And that is true. And it would be remiss of me to skip over that really quickly. Um, that is true. But as I've grown older, I've began and read the scriptures and understood the story of God. I've, I've understood that this story, this very good gospel, the story of God is magnificently broad. It is all-encompassing in its scope. It is not simply addressing our personal sins, but it speaks to our communal situation. It speaks to our world. It speaks to God, a vision of God restoring this thing we have come to know as shalom, the word for peace, the word when everything is as it should be, peace in every corner of the cosmos, every relationship, Every issue is touched and affected by the gospel. So what does the gospel have to do about creation and the world? Well, it has everything to do with it, it turns out. And yet it was never, ever mentioned in my growing up experience that the gospel had anything to do with our environment or the world we live. It was really just simply about our personal sins and our relationship with God. But this vision, this communal view of, of the gospel, of the salvation of God, the scriptures talk about, is a vision of God putting this whole world back together. And we talk about that an awful lot here. 
in Redeemer and restoring creation. And the, the need for a restoration of creation, which is what the scriptures talk about. That implies that something's gone wrong and is in need of restoring, right? If something needs restored, something has gone wrong. It doesn't take us long to begin to point to the disharmony in our world. Lisa Sharon Harper in this book, she gives one really good example from Haiti. And she talks about the poorest of the poor having to eat patties made of mud, oil, and sugar to calm their hungry bellies. Why is that? That's because soil erosion resulting from extreme deforestation and mass monocropping during the colonial era, as well as current impacts of climate change, have made farming extremely difficult in Haiti. So they've resorted to eating mud pies. In the same article that she draws from, she talks about how subsidized foods from wealthy countries are sold to developing countries like Haiti at a price that knocks local farmers out of competition. So the vast majority of their food is imported, half of it in fact, and 80% of the nation's staple rice is included in that. Disharmony. In 2008, the global food market experienced a major price hike in food imports coming from wealthy nations, and it sparked riots in developing countries around the world, including Haiti. So to get by, as I said, people made mud pies to suppress their hunger. How do we get here? How do we get here? Look around a bit more, and we hear about climate change. Take, for example, California, which is experiencing its worst drought in 1,200 years. And it's an object lesson on the impacts of climate change for our world. One of the most diverse places in the world, boasting mountains and beaches and forests and deserts. And there's been this explosive growth in that part of the world that has led to this rural, urban, suburban sprawl. And among the super rich and the super poor, well, the poorest are hit the hardest. California's farm workers have borne the brunt of the fallout from the state's struggle with climate change laying off 17,000 workers due to climate-related losses. Doctors are citing climate-related conditions among the factors affecting the health of patients, injuries due to weather events, chronic diseases, pandemics, air pollution, allergies, heat-related conditions, incidents of infection such as Lyme disease, the West Nile virus, diarrhea caused by food or water, and the groups most likely affected by climate change, of course, are those with chronic illnesses or people living near the poverty line or children from birth or adults older than 60 or people of color. And globally, women bear most of the burden as they represent the majority of the world's poor. The short-term effects of climate change, such as landslides and floods and hurricanes, go in tandem with these longer-term effects the environmental degradation, and they have this massive impact on the world, the world that God created and said in the, in the beginning of the story, it is good. How did we get here? Can you at least agree with me this morning that something's gone wrong? We don't need to spend too much time. We've seen it on our news screens, and I know many of you in this room are educated on it. 
For example, here's another one just to finish. Imagine a land where there's no water. That was what it was like in Syria from 2006 to 2009. The nation suffered the worst drought in modern times, triggered by an increase in heat and dryness. The conditions were caused by climate change, which resulted from human activities, said scientists. And all of this caused crop failures, which led to the migration of as many as 1.5 million people. That put pressure, of course, social stresses, and it actually caused an uprising against President al-Assad. Imagine watching your nation just dry up. I was actually walking around a local reservoir near where Beth and I live and this week, and one of the three huge reservoirs had dried up. It used to be this full, I should have brought a photo, this full reservoir, and it was just a puddle in the middle of it. But thankfully, there was two more completely full reservoirs. It did get me thinking, though. Imagine if our heat wave lasted and lasted and lasted, and that all dried up. This is what Syrians experienced a few years ago. It led to the greatest migration in Europe since World War II. Or lastly, Let's just look around one more. The genocide in Dafar started as a fight between herdsmen and farmers over access to water during a drought of the 1980s. Gaddafi blamed it on ethnic hatred, framing it as, well, an ethnic battle, but it was not. It was actually all about water. Soon people were killing each other en masse, etc., etc. Plastic in the ocean, overfishing, global pandemics, climate change, mass industrial farming, use of pesticides and chemicals, overconsumption of produce, exploitation of land, and on and on and on. And it's really quite depressing, isn't it? We sit here on a Sunday morning and you've come out and you're home to praise the Lord and hear something super encouraging. But I believe as Christians, it's really important for us to engage with this stuff because this is really what is happening in our world. And it's true to say this morning that something is broken when it comes to our world, our environment, and our relationship with it. The creation is not at peace, it's not at harmony or shalom. There's something between the relationship between humanity and creation that's broken and the results are there to see. And in the scriptures, in the book of Romans, Paul actually speaks a little bit about this. He says that for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's a lot of theology in that, but here's the last line. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. It's like the whole of the world, the whole of creation itself is groaning like labor pains at the disharmony, the imbalance. And this is not how it should be. Creation is subjected to this kind of futility. It's not how it should be. It's the story that we live in and other Christians live in, Christians that are meeting in churches right across our city and across our country and across our world this morning, we live in this story, this Christian story that began in a garden, began in Eden, began as a place where everything was at peace, where there was harmony between God, the divine, and humans. There was harmony between human to human, and there was harmony between human to environment, to creation. That was the vision in the poem in Genesis 
of this world, God gave us humans responsibility to tend to that relationship or those relationships. He gave us responsibility. And God said that that's what goodness looked like, taking that responsibility on, everything at harmony, everything at peace. What God calls very good is the wellness of all the relationships that he created in the beginning. All those relationships, when they are healthy and well, God calls that good. This is super Christian theology, by the way. This is basic stuff. This is what we believe, the story we live in. And this, is in, this includes the relationship between humanity and the rest of creation. This is what Lisa Sharon Harper says. She said, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they serve humanity and the rest of creation by providing sustenance for our bodies and light for our night travel. The stars tell people, especially in ancient agrarian cultures, when to wake and when to sleep and when to harvest and when to sow. Plants serve animals by offering themselves for food. We see humanity serving and protecting the ground that God calls humanity to till and to protect it and to serve it. It was in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. I have the verses if you want them. You can read it later if you need to. And to serve animals by naming them. There's this story of the, the creation, the cosmos in harmony, and it's serving humanity. And as those, as humans, we were called to exercise dominion. Humanity was called to be accountable for what happens to this masterpiece that God created called the earth. And so as we serve and protect and cultivate this creation, goodness looks like justice and peace and truth and mercy and honor and humility among humans. And we're made in God's likeness, but we're not God and we're well aware that we are creature, creatures living within God's good creation. And therefore we're not God. And therefore we cannot do what we please. And therefore we live according to God's boundaries. We live in the image of God, stewarding his earth and grounding it all in love. Love binds all creation together. But as I've said, we got it wrong. Humanity got it wrong. Our collective human sins got it wrong. We've abused that responsibility and we've, we've acted like God himself, exploiting one another and exploiting this earth, exploiting the sacred. What should be fruitful, what should be purposeful, what should be abundant life has been blocked by our own selfishness, our own greed, our own desires, blocked by those who are made in God's image and called to serve and protect and cultivate it. We've just flipped it all upside down. Creation is locked in this kind of fruitless struggle. It's groaning, as the Apostle Paul said, for liberation. But one day, our story says that this will be reversed. This will be put right. When we deprive people of the ability to exercise dominion, then we exploit the land and the image of God is crushed on the earth. When creation is not at peace, God's image on the earth is crushed. God does not reign in that place. The damage to creation is a bit of a witness to how wrong we've gone, how far we've gone from God. And I believe the root of all this is a spiritual problem. And the very good gospel, though, comes into this as Christians. 
part of our story calls us out of our selfishness. It calls us out of our pride. It calls us to humility over our environment, over the world that we live. It calls us to care about this earth and those who occupy it because God cares about it, because God created it. It's his masterpiece and it reveals his goodness. The gospel calls us, yes, to exercise dominion or responsibility to cultivate creation, but not over it, not over each other, but to protect it, to cultivate it, to serve it, not to exploit it. We're to maintain the boundaries that God put in place, which benefit all that live on this earth, not to create systems that just benefit a few. These are big topics. This is a big topic. Of course it is. But I believe the gospel addresses this. I suppose that's the good news I have today, is that if you're a Christian and you're wondering, what does the Christianity stuff have to do with any of the real stuff that's actually going on in our world? It has everything to do with it. It should be really encouraging. Because in our story, as part of our faith, there is theology and there is a rootedness in the very things that the world cares about today that need to be put right. God cares about those things. When Jesus stood in the synagogue and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, he proclaimed the year of Jubilee. You remember that passage? He proclaimed, the liber- the, he proclaimed liberation for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. They would be restored to full dignity. Well, in that text, it actually alludes to the two trees in the Garden of Eden and to God's promise in Psalm 85. It says, For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. In short, when Jesus declared the year of Jubilee, The kingdom of God was breaking in. Through Jesus, the kingdom of God was breaking in. And with the kingdom of God comes the restoration of creation. All that is broken in our world, all that is broken in our environment, all that is broken in creation is restored in and through Christ as the kingdom of God breaks in. That all will be made right in the end. And we get invited as people following Christ to partner in that, to partner with God in stewarding and cultivating, protecting the world in which we live, caring about it. That is what it means to live the way of the kingdom. So we begin to learn that God cares about creation. And we as followers of Jesus, we begin to care too about this sacred place we call home. How do we do that? I'm going to offer a few suggestions this morning with some help from Lisa, with some help from a few others that I've been speaking to in our community. How do we live out the way of Jesus as Christians? A few simple thoughts that you can go away with today. In stewarding the earth and caring about creation. And Well, I think the very first thing is as Christians, we should, the first requires humility. I'll put it like that, humility. Second Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn away from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. There's this promise 
in the Old Testament. God tells his people that he will restore shalom and he paints this picture of shalom springing up from creation where love and truth will meet, where justice and peace will kiss. God will restore what is good to his creation, but it starts with us having humility about the place that we live, not being selfish. Secondly, I think we should educate ourselves on these issues more. Here's two recommendations. Everyone should watch David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet on Netflix or the, the, the documentary Seaspiracy on Netflix. You should literally just go home and watch those. Or if you don't have Netflix, watch The Breakdown on YouTube. It's a brilliant five-part series on the issues that our world is facing. So firstly, a posture of humility. Secondly, educating ourselves. Thirdly, we should advocate for policies, systems, structures of justice. We should become aware of the issues going on in our world. So let me first point you to my friend Glenn Mitchell and the organization he leads here in Northern Ireland, Tear Fund, and their wonderful campaign, Reboot. Reboot is their current campaign that calls for a coronavirus recovery that tackles poverty and helps end climate crisis. We want to see the world rebooted for a greener, fairer future. Go and check out their campaign. Dig into what they're trying to do. Begin to advocate for the world in which we live. Fourthly, I think there are some practices that we can use and implement in our own daily lives. Here's some for consideration. Firstly, we should be generous with our resources. That's rooted in humility. We should be generous with our resources. Secondly, as Christians, we should forsake overconsumption. We should be contented with what we have. Politicians call us consumers. We're not consumers. It's not part of our identity or our worth. I buy, therefore I am, is a lie. (laughs) But it drives all of us to consume more than we need. And as a result, we send carbon into the atmosphere more than anyone else in in the developing world. We must fight the lie that our worth comes from our ability to consume. We're not consumers. So generosity, be generous with our resources. Forsake overconsumption. Thirdly, dependence on God for basic needs. That's an individual practice for us to take the Lord's prayer seriously. Give us this day our daily bread. And fourthly, reciprocity. It's a big word, but give back to the land that which has been taken. It's quite a farming principle. Maybe not the easiest for us to implement, but I think there's one way that we can. Practice taking stock of your carbon footprint. You've heard that used. It's a bit of a buzzword, but it really talks about something true. Um, I I know Gillian Stewart won't mind me saying that she works in this area of sustainability and carbon literacy. And so this week she actually shared with our leadership group, our leadership team, a little accessible assessment tool that calculates your own carbon footprint. Um, It's at footprint.wwf.org.uk in the WWF organization. They have an assessment tool on 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 your carbon footprint that you can do. It's a practical practice that you can look into as an individual or as a family about what you're doing, what kind of like consumption of food and energy you and your family are involved with. Some practical stuff there. 
I hope that that helps point you in some nice directions because this is just a conversation starter, a conversation opener. Every bit helps for creation and the environment and makes a difference. And I believe engaging with this issue and these issues are faithful to the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, the way of shalom, faithfully lived out is a people that care about this kind of stuff, people that engage with it. And it's a big challenge, but I believe it's something we're called to as followers of Jesus. God's creation is sacred and holy. It's the home that we live and to partner with God to restore it to its harmony is part of his creation plan. I'd love us to come to the table of Christ with all that in mind. I'm going to invite the guys to come up. They're going to lead us in one last song. And as they do, I want to sort of connect this into the table. Christian theology teaches that Christ, whom we follow as Christians, was present at the beginning of the cosmos in that beautiful poem in Genesis. The word was with God. We believe that mysteriously Christ came to live as Jesus on this earth. And Christ was crucified. We've been singing about that this morning on the cross, on a tree. God, the creator, the creator of the tree, was nailed to the tree. The original sin of humanity was committed, of course, in relation to a tree, another tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And some great reversal happens, that the redemption of humanity and the reversal of the fall happens to be in the form of a tree, with Christ crucified on the tree, conquering death, reversing the fall, opening the grave. At the end of the scriptures is an image of creation restored. It's in Revelation 22. And there's an image of another tree, a third tree. There's one at the start, one in the middle, and there's one at the end. And this tree is the tree of life. And there's a verse that talks about that tree. It's an image. It says, the tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. Our story teaches us, Redeemer family, this morning that through Christ and his kingdom, all will be restored. That is hopeful today. All will be restored. The nations will be healed. Divisions will be mended. Creation will be healed. And so today, the only thing I want us to do as we come and as we taste of the wine and take of the bread, I'd love us to be mindful of that hope, to be mindful of the breadth of this gospel, to confess our sins, and to receive the grace of this good God who is involved in our world. Let us celebrate that today. Let us celebrate Christ today who is at work. The Christ that we can partner with, let's celebrate Christ as we break bread and drink wine. Christ who is with us, Christ who is for us, Christ who was present at the beginning of creation and is redeeming this creation to the end. Let us celebrate that, Christ. Let us taste of the grace of God. Let us confess our sins and let us celebrate the goodness of God. So I want you to stand. John's going to lead us 
and Caitlin too in a song and as he leads us in a song I'd love you to come forward and take of the bread and take of the wine and then return to your seat and hold the bread and the wine and at the end of this song we will take the bread and wine together we'll lead you through a prayer to do that so John